Ah, my good and dear friends, a surprise for you all. Greetings and salutations from Ambassador Londo Molari of Babylon 5. Yes. My friends, in the last few days, a number of my business associates, including Veer, have done some research on a podcast, as you call it on your planet, called Gray 17. You know this podcast, Gray 17? Yes, we have done some research on it, and we are here to celebrate it and tell you the good and happy news that it is about Babylon 5, about the stories of Babylon 5, the characters, the relationships on Babylon 5, and it is a great deal of enjoyment and fun. Won't you be a part of Gray 17 podcast? I think you'll enjoy it a great deal. Personally, I am looking forward. I have been invited by Scott. I believe he is one of your hosts. Yes, Scott, this gentleman, Scott, you know him. He has invited me to be interviewed. So I'm going to accept that. And... Uh, on some future day, we will be able to have um, a question and answer, as it were, on Grade 17 podcast. In the meantime, enjoy it. Have a good time. Discuss. That's why we did the show, so that people could enjoy it and, and uh, discuss it and uh, fight about it and love it and hate it and uh, talk about the good things and the bad. Lando Molare very strongly encourages you to listen to Grey 17. Do it. Improve your life. Enjoy your life. Uh, a great deal of thanks for uh, listening from Lando Molare, friends. And Peter Jurisic sends regards, good luck, and uh, great success with Grey 17, the podcast. I hope you're listening up and joining in. Sounds like a great idea, and I am looking forward to the day that I will do an interview for Grey 17 with, uh, with Scott. I believe he's one of your hosts. Okay, dear friends, take care and uh, talk to you soon. Enjoy Grey 17, the podcast. So, yeah, that just happened. This is Scott, and... Um before we get started today, I just want to say, you know, I I started watching this show in 1994 when I was 11 years old, and even 11-year-old me knew that Peter Jurisic was an amazing actor, and Lando Malari was just an amazing character that I loved every time he showed up on screen. So... If you had told 11-year-old Scott that nearly 30 years later he's going to be able to interview one of his heroes, uh, he would have smiled and thought you were crazy, but he would have smiled. And 39-year-old Scott is smiling ear to ear. So thank you, Peter. We look forward to having you on the show very, very soon. And... God, this has been such a wild ride, and we are just getting started, folks. So thanks for being on the ride with us. On with the show.
disaster in space dock. Don't try to blame my people for this. Triggers mutiny among the crew. I say strike! And Sinclair's darkest hour on the next Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Match incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. Welcome back to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast, part of the Front Row Network and NPR Illinois. Thank you to all of our listeners out there, as well as those who are liking, commenting, and leaving reviews for us. It is appreciated. I am Blake, and obviously not Scott. Our newbies finally had enough of Scott saying beyond the rim and threw him out the airlock this time. I was fired! So Scott is still around, sort of. He's just floating out the airlock somewhere. With me tonight is... God, that's kind of dark. Andrew. Mike. Jesse. Evan. Emily. Scott, I got tired of hurting the cats, so now Blake gets to hurt them for a week. Enjoy. Nicole. And John. And welcome back, John. Rest assured, you have not been out with Mimbari or have a hole in your mind, but you have been on vacation. And you've missed a few episodes with the group, so wanted to give you a chance. Do you have any thoughts or observations on any of the episodes that we have reviewed and watched during your absence? Uh, yes. So I'd like to say good to be back, but uh, I was three weeks in Europe, and now I'm back in Illinois, so not that great. Uh, however, very quickly, so Believers, uh, strong episode. Uh, tackling religion was great. I was super excited. I hope somebody talked about my man Conrad, Connie, Con whatever you want to call him from the great Seinfeld episode. He was the father uh, in this episode and judging by people's faces. I don't think anyone called that out. We absolutely didn't talk about Seinfeld. Sorry. That's a bummer. Okay. (laughs) Um, But that episode was great. Franklin is an ass. Um, One common theme from this episode and then the next episode survivors. Apparently it seems as if you can do whatever you want and there are no repercussions. Uh, I thought they were supposed to be military officers, which is quite shocking to just blatantly just disregard orders um, pretty significantly and basically kind of go on about your life as if nothing matters. Um, as usual, Londo is amazing. Awesome. Too underutilized. Um, I liked uh, his part in survivor. Um, I will say uh, I laughed super duper hard and we'll take a turn here again <laughs> that uh, Ivanova had one of the best parts so far with her you know, joking like, oh, no, yeah, Garibaldi, let him go. I'll just sit here and knit. I thought that was fucking hilarious. Uh, I was super dope and stoked. She finally got something that I enjoyed. And I was very bummed out that we didn't really get to see her part at the end there um, with, you know, her action. It just kind of was like, oh, by the way, I, I guess she made it. So that was kind of a bummer. Um, didn't get a, a single scene with the president. I thought that was a little bit odd, but I, I assume he'll be coming sometime soon. Um, signs and portends. Uh, 
the Jakar Londo scene was awesome. I, I hope there's lots more. Again, I need to see a good buddy cop or road trip movie with these two because it's it has to happen. Um, when we caught Delenn in Signs and Portents, I thought she was playing Cones of Dunshire. For, for <laughs> I got excited and realized uh, way too early for that. A couple of other things. Uh, yet again, you know, the highest ranking officers seem to be right on the front line. So Garibaldi goes out and uh, Ivanova goes out. Sinclair's always rushing. I'm like, man, do you guys not know how to delegate? This is crazy. Did you just say Ivanova? <laughs> really? Seriously? <laughs> this is what happens with our chat. <laughs> Ivanova. <laughs> And then lastly, Kosh and his shenanigans and an ominous stranger there in the last episode, Signs of Portents. Excited to see where that goes. And hopefully you guys had good conversations about that. Uh, I've got some other notes, but I'll save it. Those were kind of the, the big things I wanted to. Oh, one last thing. I'm sorry. Garibaldi's middle name is Alfredo. Did, hopefully we talked about that. I don't know if anyone saw that in his little wanted poster. So it was Michael Alfredo Garibaldi. What the? I mean, hilarious. Yeah, I think that's about it. Glad to be back. <laughs> All right. Thank you, John. And also, we have a little new thing for supporters of our podcast. We have a Patreon account now. Scott, you want to jump in a little bit with that and also recognize some of our first supporters? Yeah. So um, there was a crazy idea on our Facebook community where people wanted to pay us to do this. And we're like, well, that's weird. But sure, whatever. So we went ahead and created a Patreon. Uh, and we we're really excited that we've already got some patreon supporters so uh one i'll tell you the tiers real quick first so there are there are four tiers we have you got coshed at three dollars a month and with that you get access to our discord we're going to talk behind the scenes about how we prep for these shows and everything else we're also going to provide you with some behind the scenes content as well as um just you know access to um chatting with us on the patreon side of things then you've got team ivanova because we can't pronounce her name to save our lives at $6 a month. And there you get the behind the scenes access in the discord, but also we're going to be doing a monthly Q and a where you'll be able to submit questions uh, and uh, just chat with us directly. And uh, that will probably be a live Q and a for our Patreons. So you can um, see our wonderful, beautiful faces as we do this. Then you can probe us with the probed tier at $12 a month, Mike is like, mm, I'm not sure if I want to be probed or not. Oh, uh, with, with the probe, you will have the monthly Q&A, the Discord, the behind the scenes, but you'll be able to record questions audio-wise, and they will be inserted, if we deem them okay to be inserted, into this actual podcast. So you can be a part of the podcast by sending in your audio questions that will be played and then answered during one of our episode discussions. And then finally, for those who uh, really want to support what we're doing and help us out, we've got the Gray Council, which is $20 a month, and they are going to be producers. So you will actually get a producer credit. And thank you to our four producers we already have, which is Chris, Alexander, Yuri, and Joseph. Thank you so much. This is really um, a labor of love for us, but we have ideas of where we can make this bigger and better. And, you know, we um, just hit over 5,000 listens in just over two months. So we are getting a lot of good interaction, but we really want to grow this thing and we want to be able to do more for folks. So these Patreon supporters will be able to help us not only improve what we're doing, but um, expand out to new and better things with the podcast. So thanks everyone 
who's already done it. And for those who want to join the Patreon, it is patreon.com slash gray17podcast, or the link is in the show notes. Thanks, Blake. Thanks, Scott. So tonight we're going to be talking about By Any Means Necessary, which for several of us who come from union families or have worked in union roles, this is one of our favorite episodes. And for those joining us for the first time, we are a group of longtime fans, as well as a group who's watching the show for the first time. And later on, we're going to take all of the newbies and their favorite phrases. We're going to throw them out the airlock into hyperspace. And then the longtime fans will go through all of the greater context of the story arc and spoilers for this episode. So let's go ahead and jump into first impressions. Nicole, what do you got for us? So I thought this was a great episode. Um, Kind of having growing up in a union family and seeing strikes in action and things like that, it was kind of like almost exciting, like okay, I've been there on both sides. I get, you know, where this could be a problem, but I get the worker side, like just kind of observing it. Because honestly, these things still happen today. Again, a show from all these years ago being relevant today, which is kind of interesting. Um, But I thought it was really good. Um, There was some pretty good lines in there. The stuff at line I loved. And I also loved uh, Ivanova when she was uh, giving them the countdown to kick him out of the, um, the, what is that? Like the control center Mm -hmm. when uh, Londo and Jakar came in and were yelling. And then that reporter was, there she just was like nah you're gonna get out of here i thought that was pretty awesome um and then you know the the girl Connolly, um the new character that was introduced the i guess the representative for the workers uh she was very like standing her ground and it was kind of interesting to hear the backstory about her dad and why she's so passionate about workers rights and things like that and um you know it was it was great to see another strong female just like stepping up and standing her ground and you know, really just kind of making waves. Um, but yeah, it was a, overall, I thought it was a good episode. The subplot of Jakar and Londo, it just cracked me up with the way they were fighting and just the bickering between them. I thought of John immediately when I saw that um, because I thought he was going to have a field day with that. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a good episode. Um, you know, I wrote down a ton of notes uh, we can get into a little later, but I guess my initial you know, kind of reaction was um, it was really great. And I, I'm glad how Sinclair basically stuck it to them in the end, but also it had an ominous, even though it had a good ending, it had that ominous ending with that whole Zento character and like that whole warning from the Senate. So uh, even though there was a victory, I felt like there was a little bit of kind of stomping on that at the end with that little ominous ending. Yeah, definitely. Andrew? I also really like this episode. Uh, I don't come from a, a union family background, but uh, despite that I did. Uh, I was very compelled by this episode. Uh, I do think it's interesting that uh, it's probably the least sci-fi-ish episode. Like this sort of story arc, you could stick it to, into any other uh, like drama, whatever series, and it would still fit. With that in mind, I would say that this is probably still one of my favorite episodes that I've seen so far. Yeah, and that's a good point. As we've commented a few times, when JMS first set the series up, he actually wrote it out, had multiple different ideas for shows that all became one. Um, he had the philosophy piece, he had the sci-fi piece, and he had all these different pieces. So there's definitely a lot of storylines in here that can move out and about. John, I know you're you're really probably want to talk about the Londo scenes in this one. <laughs> Uh, unsurprisingly, this is one of my favorite episodes. Uh, this episode was about one Bernie cameo away from being perfection. Um, I thoroughly enjoy this. To Andrew's point, I really like... So coming around to this show, obviously at the beginning, I was pretty pessimistic. And to be honest, if it wasn't for this pod, if it wasn't for you guys, I would have quit after the first the, the pilot. I just wasn't... It didn't seem like it was for me. But 
episodes like this and something I've liked that I saw from believers is that it's very surprising to me, even in the nineties that JMS is able to, and in some areas like this, very definitely incorporate themes that normal shows wouldn't tackle. So my, some of my favorite shows, you know, are like HBO shows because premium cable, they can do and say whatever they want, dive into all kinds of things. Whereas network television traditionally does not want to go there. And so to see this kind of stuff, talk about union rights and, and labor issues. I mean, first of all, it could not be more timely as well. Watching this show, this episode specifically today in 2022, um, it could air today and it would just be be just as relevant, if if not more so. Um, so I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this episode. Obviously, the Londo stuff, the Jakar stuff was gold. Um, I loved it to no end. Um, huge fan of Lando just rocking those PJs, FYI, that those red PJs. I got to get a robe. I'm not a robe guy, but after watching him, I, I got a robe, I think. There were a couple of things that stood out. When I very first saw the Doc Workers, though, so I did notice they were all human, which I thought was interesting for two perspectives. The first is like, okay, so if Earth is really the driver and they're paying, it would make sense. They probably, especially what we've heard, put a lot of humans in there. But it's also a little telling that no other you know species wants to help out or there's no interest in making it more. You know, Sinclair's mentioned a couple of times about it being you know, it has to be a port for everybody. We have to be very inclusive. We have to be blah, blah, blah. And so uh, the fact that, that there weren't any other aliens in the guilds, now maybe some of the other guilds that have them, but no other species uh, kind of stood out, but um, I'll save some of the stuff for later. But again, I, I got to tell you, this was, this was one of my favorite episodes so far. This and Born of the Purple for obvious reasons. Like, I don't want this to go by without making sure everyone caught this. John just said he somewhat likes Babylon 5. And I think that's very important yes. that we get that in writing recorded right now for future reference. <laughs> and I have a note. Remember to click record, right? Oh, yes, we are recording. We're fine. Oh, good. So we got that. Yes, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, we got it. <laughs> Don't just I told, buy it, though. I, I will say, I will say, I told both Jesse and John that you would come around, and I'm actually, I thought it was going to be um, signs and portents for both of you, but actually, Jesse came around a little bit sooner than that, so. Awesome. Uh, well, listen, I'm still iffy on Ivanova. Okay. Let's not, I didn't say she was my favorite. I just said she had a really good scene. She's coming around. If this Ivanova keeps coming. Okay. I can Every get. time you say Ivanova, we get comments. Stop it. Ivanova. I just out only, sick tonight and we're still getting this crap. Stop you it. Said you enjoyed her. So let's roll it back and everybody yes. listen to John talk about how he enjoyed her being on screen. For those that want to talk about John's pronunciation, you can send your hate comments to grace17podcast at gmail.com directed to John and he will be happy to respond to you personally about his issues. Emily, what have you got for us? So, yeah, I thought this was a good episode and how has no one mentioned that Mr. Zento was a smarmy wanker who needed to be punched in the face? And I actually feel kind of bad for the actor because his face is kind of punchable. So <laughs> yeah, it it was a good episode. And I like how Sinclair got the best of him. But that not so subtle threat, I was like, okay, so which group is mad at him? Is it the space fascist, whatever their name was? I forget because I don't like them. <laughs> oh or is there like a new group that's going to be introduced that's now angry at him? And will the Mimbari now have to protect him? So yeah, it's a cool episode. Surprise it's taken us this long to get someone called a wanker on this podcast, honestly. Right. When I did my auto or uh, my video commentary on YouTube for this show, I called him a douchebag. So wanker works too. Yeah, that works. I thought I called That's someone a else a wanker a few episodes ago. Oh, did we? Was it blonde fuck one or two? <laughs> 
I don't remember. Okay. Jesse, what have you got? Uh, I learned my first Babylon 5 swear word today. Uh, Swak. He was like, it came from Jakar and it sounded just like fuck. And I loved it. So now instead of saying fuck, I'm going to say Swak and people are going to think that I had a stroke. So we're going to move on from that. The I loved the union leader, the union rep. I loved that she was a woman. Um, she was funny. She laughed with them. She was very relatable. I had a good time watching this episode. And I'll tell you, the, it's it's one of the first-ish times that I feel like um, I'm excited to enter into their world. Like it, instead of just watching it as a show that you're forcing me to watch, it was like, a, oh, this is cool. Cause it's like an imagined, you know, imaginary world and everything's like weird and fun. And so, yeah, I liked it. Had a good time. All right. This episode I've commented before. There's a few episodes in Babylon five that I've actually quoted outside of things that I have been a union rep. And one of the lines I've used as a union rep came from this show. And it is the don't hand someone a gun unless you know where they're going to point it. Yes. I, I can't give the details of the situation, but there was a issue when I was a union rep and yeah, yeah it came up and I looked at a director of HR and used that exact quote. So See, this I thought is it was... one episode for a lot of things. See, I thought it was the one where Sinclair's in the uh, council chamber and says, I haven't slept in two days and I'm cr- uh, grouchy. So don't that's try me. Crappy. No, that's when I hit you with the newspaper. I didn't need a quote for that. I just hit you with a newspaper. It happens. All right. So let's jump in with our other thoughts and commentary and start off with some of our longtime fans. Mike, any thoughts on this episode? Yeah, <clears throat> I really like this episode. I think it's uh, another one of these episodes like Believers that's a really solid premise. Not even necessarily sci-fi i mean this is the kind of storyline that i would imagine seeing in something like a law and order you know back in the 90s just translated into a different uh piece of scenery which i think is kind of interesting um you know i think the performances by a lot of the a cast were really good uh you know i continued to love the interactions between londo and jakar um i did think a lot of the the b-plot actors were their performances were kind of weak um but uh yeah overall it was it was good i I really like this one kevin i also really like this episode um i i always enjoy seeing john john snyder um who i think was on the show already um so this is his second time around with the show but people know him from star trek as well but yes he was a, a smarmy wanker but uh he uh he did serve a very uh interesting purpose for the for the plot uh, and did a good job doing doing that type of part which is not his norm usually he's the the super nice guy type so uh showed some range for him uh, as far as the the show goes i thought this was some good uh, insight into the inner workings of the station and the kind of uh control that the government seems to have over over dock workers and and uh um the unions in general, which it's good to know they still exist in the 23rd century. But um, overall, I, I did enjoy this episode quite a bit. I thought it was uh, good to see uh, Commander Sinclair get get the best of of the situation in the end. And of course, we'll we'll di- we'll dive into it in a minute. But all the uh, the Londo and uh, Jakar stuff is really cool in this episode as well. It's funny, and this episode's especially relevant now because we've been having a discussion in the background chat and with some folks on various platforms of social media and YouTube that, especially as the talk about a Babylon 5 reboot comes and the, some people out there claiming that the new show shouldn't be woke and it should avoid some of those issues. I think this episode's an example of sci-fi in particular, and especially Babylon 5 has always been what you would call woke. And Scott, I think you actually have some insight off the Usenet. There was a particular act mentioned in this one, uh, the Rush Act. and. Yeah. You have the context on why this was called this. 
Yep. So way back in the day, it was uh, asked uh, why it was called the Rush Act. And JMS pointed out it was absolutely named after Rush Limbaugh, who JMS pointed out is uh, one of the greatest American proctologists of all time. That's awesome, because I literally wrote down, what is the Rush Act? I hope they tell us what it is. That answer could not be more fucking perfect. <laughs> so it's pretty you- good. If you're thinking, I want my old Babylon 5 that was conservative, I'm sorry. (laughs) That's not what's going to happen here. (laughs) Nothing about this show has given off a conservative vibe up until this point. You know, I'm not going to get into the fanboy hate right now. One day I will. But the whole it's too woke is whenever you use the word woke, I want to punch you in the face. I want you to know that. And if you're one of our community members, I'm sorry. If you use the word woke, like Star Trek is too woke now, or I don't want the Babylon 5 reboot to be woke. I want to punch you in the face physically. Just do it. Just, just to put just it on it. record. Fuck Rush Limbaugh. Fuck his legacy. And yes. Fuck anybody that listened to him. Yes. Yes. May he, may he not be a memory still bright. And that's a Babylon five reference. You guys won't get for two years. <laughs> and Andrew, you've got your hand up. What have you got for us? A uh, quick question. What does one have to do to become uh, the world's greatest proctologist or whatever, whatever you called him? Be an Andrew, asshat. You just ask us who Rush Limbaugh is. I'm only 23. I, I, oh I my God. Oh, it's this is actually yeah. good. I just said, may he be in memory, not bright. If the kids don't remember Rush Limbaugh, I'm okay with this because if his memory is just erased from this freaking <laughs> earth, that's not a bad thing. I'm sorry. Either way, I'm just going to Google it after the show. So <laughs> He was Alex Jones before Alex Jones. Yeah. Uh, he started, good way to actually, sum it up. He started actually as a sports commentator and realized there was more money in rallying up uh, conservatives on yeah. radio. And so he did that for 40 years and just passed away last year? Question mark? Yeah. After, after getting the Presidential Medal of Freedom, by the way. He gave us broadcasters a bad name. Hey, I got a question uh, for you. Too. I'm not waiting for questions, but if you're just giving out answers, I heard them say New California. Do they dive into what the makeup of like Earth is? And well, that it- wasn't Earth. New California was on Mars. Maybe it was another colony, but it's definitely so whenever the only the only part of California that no longer exists is San Diego because we heard it got nuked. <laughs> That's why I was like, oh, they, so New California, maybe they moved or whatever. I guess the question really is so because I mean, you guys have the, the books, encyclopedia, all the other stuff. Do they do they ever release that info? Like, yeah, t- well, we'll talk about it and be on the rim. Yeah. Uh, no, no, this is something <laughs> I actually I'm glad you mentioned that, John, since I just bought an 820 page encyclopedia of Babylon 5 and New California is in here. But Here's the passage. I I will quote it verbatim. New California, the site of a labor strike that resulted in violence sometime prior to 2258. That's it. (laughs) Thank you, you, Babylon 5 Encyclopedia. You helped me out so much. That was well use uh, resource. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I will say this. So uh, I spent about a decade in the army. And so defense spending and seeing the waste and knowing what that bloated budget feels like and looks like, um, I thought it was depressingly refreshing to hear that still even in this new, you know, this other century that they're still giving lots of money to defense. There's always money for guns and and bullets and weapons and, and all that, but not enough for, for the rest of it. Although I will say I was disappointed at the very end, it was just over a million bucks, which, you know, today in like America's own budget is literally not a rounding error in most budgets. So 
I thought that was the only like nitpick. I thought, man, it's, it's gotta be more than that. Otherwise, you know, like I said, you can find that anywhere in a budget that well, large. Remember it, it was credit. So we have no idea what the exchange rate is. Yeah. I, I think sci-fi finance has always been kind of a sketchy area. Mike, what do you got? Yeah. Just to build on John's point. I mean, as much as this episode was very, um, you know, poignant to the kind of problems that happened today. Um, you know, I did, I did kind of notice that at the end it, it had like an all too convenient conclusion where it kind of ended happily, you know, Sinclair got some threats, but everything kind of wrapped up. The good guys got extra money, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, I definitely wish that was how it actually happened in real life, but it just isn't. One of the other things I noticed was Sinclair's five, five o'clock shadow came and went a couple of times during the episode. That's the one thing, John, that I meant I noticed too on this episode is um, Sinclair's looking a little rough. And, you know, at the end of the episode, he says he's been up for two days, but even at the beginning of the episode, before everything starts <laughs> pulling at him, he's got some five o'clock shadow going. Going. He's got some bags under the eyes. I, we've kind of discussed a little bit before about Michael O'Hare and what he went through in season one in terms of his uh, his mental health. Part of me is wondering if this was what was called on set back then uh, a, a red day um, or a red several days. But then also I was doing the online commentary on our YouTube account plug uh, and one of our commenters who was there with me actually mentioned that Michael O'Hare was doing another side gig while this was in production. And so he showed up and was looking a little tired because he was filming something else the same day. And they said, we're just going to go with it. And so that's where we're at. So I actually, I dug into that, Scott. Please. Not on his IMDb, but um, I went to, he was doing Broadway at the time. He was not in a show. He was an understudy and a backup for one of the leads in a Broadway production. Um, So he was basically jetting back and forth between the production production in California and this uh, rehearsals for the production for Broadway in New York at the time. That That's the only overlap I could find was with this Broadway show. Well, that would definitely make you look like you have bags under your eyes and a five o'clock shadow. So, yeah, but I think it works for the episode because oh, does, seeing him gain, you know, everything's going wrong. And then after he's dealing with all the stuff with the labor relations, we then have to deal with Jakar and Londo being Jakar and Londo. I mean, it make well, anyone look like they want to jump off a cliff. And to that point, we joined the episode where there are already clearly problems going on. Mm-hmm. Ships are waiting off off port. So, I mean, it's probably been a hard couple of days even before it really yeah. hit yeah. the fan. Good point. Um, what did Garibaldi say to him? You look like day old bread. <laughs> it just made me think of that. Like he like was pointed out to him. He's like, you know, no offense, commander, but you look like day old bread i think that was the phrase that he said and he's like oh i feel like it or basically he was like yeah i feel like shit and i'm tired um so just to kind of you know obviously we noticed it but people on the show like it was written into the show to point out how rough he looked so i will say sinclair's gotten a lot better throughout the season i think these last two episodes were for me probably the strongest um you know, how he handled this episode, right? The negotiations to Mike's point, it was a little too cookie cutter in terms of cleaning it all up. But when you combine that with last episode with his maneuvering with the, um, Raiders and their ships. Um, I thought that was great. Now, my only be fair was, Hey man, you had two different fleets. You could have had one of the ship's defenses holding those guys. And you could have sent, you know, uh, Ivanova and her crew out to the main ship. But anyways, but, but regardless, um, I think, uh, he's really coming into his own. I'm starting to starting to like him a little bit more as well. And I think these last two episodes have kind of shown, 
um, you know, why he is the commander, why he is in charge. Well, and mentioning that, John, too, this one in production order is one of the later produced one. Um, this one was like production order 14. So a lot of the ones we've been watching before this um, were produced a lot earlier uh, in the production order. And now we're finally getting into those that were produced later in the series after the actors had had a chance to develop into the characters and really pick those pieces up, too. That is that is one of the things that really, when you think about the story arc with um, the serialized nature, um, how they did that, but also still bounced around the production order and made it all fit around to Scott. The new host skipped me over for first impression, so I'm going to shotgun this real quick. Uh, a couple of things uh, on this episode. One thing I wanted to point out first is the writer of this episode was Catherine Drennan. Um, no one knows who Catherine Drennan is, but JMS did because she is JMS's ex-wife and was wife at the time when she wrote this. And the reason why I point that out, for one, it's a really good episode. She did a great job writing it. Before this, she had done a lot of writing um, on TV. She had had an internship with The Next Generation, which promptly ended <laughs> when they started working on Deep Space Nine for obvious reasons. Um, but JMS back in the Usenets pointed out that he did not want her writing an episode. She begged him and begged him for about the year between The Gathering and here. And uh, he just, he hates Netflix according to him and didn't want her to write it. So what he did was he made her go through a freaking gauntlet to get this episode aired. So usually when you do a TV writing room like this, you uh, give um, several different uh, pieces before you give a full script. You go in there, you give an outline, you give a, a, a premise of what you're trying to do. With uh, this, JMS told her, you will write the whole script from, uh, from beginning to end, and then you'll turn it in and we will have everyone read it. And if anyone says it's bad, it's not going to hit the air. And everyone liked it. So it made it on the air. So I think it's just interesting that she had to go through a lot more to get this script to the air. And I think it's one of the stronger ones. The other thing I wanted to throw out real quick um, was Kevin mentioned uh, that he liked John Snyder. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think he's the weakest part of this episode. I think uh, Katie Boyer, who plays uh, Connolly, I think she does a great job. And I've seen people like her in the labor movement and she fits that to a T. I think she did great. But I, I've been, Blake, you mentioned you've been on the labor side of things. I've been on management side of things. There is, we don't send people like that in to negotiate because all it's going to do is make everyone hate everybody. So this guy would never be a labor negotiator and he just comes off so smarmy. And yes, it's the it's the the writing on the page that is doing it for him, but he played it over the top and it, it it's the it's the weakest link of the episode for me. That's what I got. Two things. First of all, let's all let's all boo Scott since he's management. So boo Scott. Boo. And you know what? Every year my teacher union came to the school board when I was uh doing management, they got pretty significant raises. So you can have allies on management just saying secondly jms's little hurdles he made his wife go through kind of sounds like it's the reason she became x well if you read <laughs> becoming superman you'll know exactly why she becomes his ex they're actually still really good friends but <laughs> there are reasons and it's not this episode <laughs> well and scott you mentioned uh in there with the over-the-top character and i think they even answered that though within the plot itself yeah you know the was it senator hidoshi mm -hmm. flat out said that he felt like they were sending this guy in to cause exactly the scenario that happened. It's like they sent this guy in to blow up the negotiations. You're right. Um, but so I, I think they kind of explained some of that even within the within the script itself. The the you counter know? the counterpoint to that though, I would say is they said he's one of their best negotiators. So sooner or later he had to actually do a job. <laughs> 
and not this. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll certainly argue that the actor does a better job playing the nice guy like he did on TNG. But at the same time, I, I didn't get the over the top impression that you got. Mike, really? Because I felt like he was a Bond villain. In this. Yes. Yeah. Mean, <laughs> That's a good description right there. Uh, yeah. Um, well, and, and actually, this, this is a good segue off of what Scott just said about the episode kind of tying things up. I think there's an answer. Um, I don't know who said it in their first impressions about how all the dock workers were human. I actually think this episode kind of answers that question by stating that, A, the first thing I wrote down, my very first note was that Senator Hidoshi references or refers to Babylon 5 as a military base, not not an embassy. It's a military base. It is very much Earth run for Earth, 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 Earth. And we know Earth is probably not the good guys, or at least some elements within the Earth government are not favorable to aliens. And then the second thing with the whole dock workers and the fact that they're government employees, they're under contract from the government. So it only makes sense to me that in a in a universe where Earth is maybe not the most hospitable to aliens at this point in time, that, that yeah, they're only people they're hiring are probably humans, humans to work on their quote unquote military base. Since yeah. you mentioned the, the, the dock workers uh, real quick, just one more thing I'm going to throw in and I'll shut up is we talked about the other two actors, but I actually think uh, Jose Ray, who played Ed Eduardo was great in this too, because if you ever work with laborers, Eduardo is a laborer and I freaking mm-hmm. love it and uh, I'm all for it. So Jose Ray did a great job in this one too. Been laborers, bro. Then you probably have seen an Eduardo or worked with an Eduardo. Maybe you were Eduardo. I, well, all right, maybe. I, I worked construction a little bit. I did some uh, concrete work. And by work, I mean, I did all the, you know, manual labor the skilled workers didn't want to do. So I hauled a bunch of shit and carried a bunch of shit and broke up a bunch of shit. Carried I'm, a bunch getting, of- I'm getting flashbacks to the last scene of Office Space where he's just digging through the rubble and I'm just putting your face on there and it works out pretty well. Unlike Peter, I was not happy about it. <laughs> so-, <laughs> so we've talked a lot about the A plot on this one and I want to touch on the B plot a little bit because we kind of dive back into religion with this one. Um, we had obviously religion front and center and believers and then we get this episode um, and in a lot of sci-fi with religion, you see, especially amongst aliens, they have almost like a planetary religion. And for this one, for the first time with the Narns, we actually hear a discussion of they have differing beliefs. You've got Jakar and Natoth have differing beliefs uh, from each other in the same planet. Very similar to what we saw in the Parliament of Dreams episode with Sinclair walking down the line of all the different Earth religions. So uh, get some thoughts on that. Uh, Jesse, I saw your hand fly up really quick there. Um, they're like children. Londo really showed his ass in this episode because he's like, Hey, I'm going to help you out. Give me a lot of money. Oh, okay. Now I don't want your money. Now it's just for a matter of just, um, me telling you to just walk off. So I don't know. It's, it's, it was a lot. It was, it's a lot. To, it was a lot to watch. I'm using that word from now. You I want you to use that. So you much. swalking mother swalkers. Like I'm it's happening. Um, no, but it's, it's definitely, it was like children when they were in on the brig. I don't know what they call it when they're in the control room or whatever. Um, say it again. Uh, command and control. Yeah. So yeah. When, when they were there, it was like, they're like children. They were like arguing and tattling to mom and dad. And it was just, it was a lot to like process as the B plot while the A plot was going on. So I, I did love the scene though, where Londo's in the elevator when Jakar looks at him, he just does the uh, laughing <laughs> and waving the hands and fingers at him. But, you know, I see Emily's wanting to say something, but I've got to go to John after that one. I'm sure he's going to have something to say about Jesse's comments on Londo. Jessica, <laughs> how dare you besmirch the good name of Londo? He is not a child. Jakar could be a child. 
and was a petulant child. But my man Londo, he's playing the long game. You can't, would you forget about his cousin? Because Londo don't. How dare you? All right, Emily, what have you got? Um, God, now they made me forget what I wanted to say. <laughs> Children. <laughs> No, oh, I well at the end when Jakar was finally able to do the ceremony. One, I thought the effects were finally looked pretty decent, and I thought the cer like the whole ceremony they did was interesting. But I also found how Sinclair um like kind of talked him off the edge about it with like the well, you need the sunlight over the mountain, and then but we're so far away, and I thought it was <laughs> interesting um how he kind of I don't want say altered it but maybe expanded his um stance you know trying to get jacarda chill out a little bit and really think it through and maybe add a bit of a new perspective all right nicole i was also going to add that like that ending scene with sinclair and jacar and londo and when um sinclair was talking him off the ledge about the um ceremony i thought sinclair was really respectful of the religion um and like the you know process that jacar follows and i thought it was another example of sinclair just being super respectful of people's beliefs and their religions and their traditions and rituals and things like that. Um, I thought that was really cool. And uh, he's like, well, you can ask a couple of the Jesuit teachers I had, they would disagree. But I think he is a spiritual man. And, and he's even said before in the episode that he believes in something. And, you know, um, I, I guess I would assume God, but like, I just thought it was really cool how it was almost kind of like a tender moment in a way, like it started out really tense. And then it started out with him being pissed off and cranky. And then he kind of turned it into this like meaningful conversation that was really respectful of Jakar's, you know, religious beliefs and rituals and things that he wanted to do. And basically like helped him find a way to still do what he wanted to do. Um, so I thought that was really cool and just kind of an observation that I wrote down that I was like, wow, he really is really thoughtful and respectful on people's beliefs. John? Yeah, to follow her point, and again, when we talked earlier about Sinclair being a good commander, this is another instance where he showed um, incredible ability to not only resolve that conflict, as much as I love my boy Londo, and again, shout out for, you know, being petty and keeping uh, keeping tabs and not, you know, forgive, not forget, love it. You know, the, like, like Jakar said, he was so quick to give up because he thought he'd already won. And for Sinclair to kind of play the little mental gymnastics and go, hey, Jakar, by the way, no, he didn't win. You can still win this. Again, two days, no sleep just shows how great of a commander and to Nicole's point, how compassionate he can be. And I thought that was, I thought that was really great. I actually, even though they were beefing, uh, this made this episode made me like Jakar more too. I don't know what it was about him. Maybe it was his desperation and trying to be able to adhere to his religion, but he came off far more compassionate this episode than I've seen in other episodes. And uh, so it endeared me to him more, which is why I said, I need to see a good road trip comedy or a buddy comedy. You know, I need, I need an odd couple situation with these two uh, very soon. Mike, what do you got? Yeah, I, I agree with what John just said about Jakar. I kind of feel like this is one of the few instances we've seen in this series so far where Jakar kind of shows himself as actually believing in something other than just being on a quest for revenge. Um, this is the first time where you actually see that he is a leader. He, he cares about his people. He wants to encourage their, you know, spirituality and maybe he is himself a spiritual person. Uh, and to that end, I, you know, I feel like, I don't know that we've really discussed it very, very much, but I feel like in virtually every episode that I watch when I'm taking notes on the episode to talk about, I always jot down that somebody, somebody in the crew 
is talking to Sinclair and references that he is a spiritual person or, or references him being a spiritual person in some way, shape or form. And I don't know that we've ever really talked about it or brought it up because it's kind of like a passing side note, but it is, it is definitely there in most, if not every episode. Yeah. I think bring, I think you bring up a good point there. I, I definitely think you're right. We see a lot of that as it goes through in some way or form as they go through the episode, whether it be something mentioned by Sinclair himself, something he does, or even comments uh, from some of the other characters in the show. Scott, what do you got? No, I was, Mike got most of what I was saying. I, what I was going to say, and that is, uh, I love the path that Jakar is on here. If you watch just the gathering, Jakar is the mustache twirling bad guy. And now we're starting to see him really build up as a character. I mean, he's still a Narn and Narn are still trying to make their way in the galaxy and make up for wrongs against them and all of that. But we're seeing a lot more as we've already discussed here. You know, I, when I started this conversation with you all, you know, a few months ago, I had mentioned that uh, Londo was uh, my favorite character and that this is Londo's story. But actually watching season one with you all this way, which again, this is the first time I've watched season one week to week like this since probably 1994. Jakar is really standing out as the character I look to the most. And of course, I know what's coming. But um, yeah, uh, Jakar is really these first few episodes is really firing on all cylinders for me. And how dare you, John, say that Jakar was being a child? Because I think Jakar handled this very, very well. Agreed. All he was trying to do was be uh, a leader for his people in a rough time. And uh, Londo's just screwing him every step of the way. But Jakar, Jakar from The Gathering would have tried to do something violent. Now, of course, he did send the Toph to go steal the Jaquan. He did, but it wasn't a violent thing unless, you know, several Centauri were lying dead at the stoop somewhere that we just didn't see. Uh, He's trying to do things differently. And I appreciate that. Nicole. I also just wanted to kind of go back to, and I think somebody might have touched on it, the conversation that he had with Natoth about how um, there are different, I guess, religions in the Narn, uh, which was kind of interesting to hear. And she kind of was like, I believe in myself. I don't really believe in anything. And he was having that discussion with her. And I thought that was kind of almost a tender moment too. A very real moment between the two of them, um, because you don't really see conversations like that between Natoth and, and Jakar very often, or we have so far i thought you know a lot of the stuff that they usually talk about is him ordering her to do something and telling her to do this or go get this or go here or go do that so to have them you know even though it was a short conversation it was a little bit more depth uh between the two of them that you typically see i thought that was really cool um to kind of see and it kind of gave you a little bit more insight into jakar like scott and you know mike were saying like i thought it was kind of nice to see a different side of him because as you know from the beginning i didn't really like him and he is growing on me and this episode is also another kind of you know point in in kind of transitioning me over to not hating him. So, um, but yeah, I thought that was a really cool moment. Welcome to team Shakar, Nicole. Welcome. The one that I will add for that too, is, you know, you mentioned the uh, multiple religions. When you see the scene that Emily pointed out at the end, there's 250,000 people on Babylon five, and there's only about six or seven people, you know, praising Jaquan. So it's probably, there's probably a lot of sects. S E C T. Because it almost spelled it. Don't get excited, John. (laughs) I I had to spell it because John immediately put his hands in the air like we were having a party. I'm like, no, there's a lot of sex. Oh, speaking of putting hands in the air, I kept wanting to refer to the their religion as worshiping Jamiroquai. 
Jaquan. Jaquan, sir. Jaquan. Jaquan. Jesse. Well, I, we're given we're given Jakar a lot of credit right now, but had the Narn been a little bit more freaking patient in the beginning, one, we probably wouldn't have had an episode, and two, um, he would have had his plant. Yeah, that so, guy was an idiot. <laughs> I mean, right. Like he was being extremely short and pissy with uh, Ivanova. And oh, for um, God's sakes. <laughs> I'm going to, what's going to start happening is I'm, for those listening, I'm the one who edits these. I'm going to start editing your butts. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take when you actually say it right. And I'm just going to insert it. And it's going to take me a long time, which means I'm going to start looking haggard like Sinclair. I'm going to get cranky. That's fine. And mm, this I is you to not make cranky. your life better, Scott. I, I am three beers in, sir. I am good. I'm just, never going to say her name right from this point on. Going to per- mispronounce everyone's name. Yeah. I've been uh, Ghirardelli. Well, if, we're, if we're talking about mispronouncing names, it's not Jakar, it's Jakar. Because as Jacquard. JMS just retweeted a few days ago, uh, the the way it came to that, and this is, I, I, I love Andreas Katsoulis. He's went to um, JMS and said, I've decided he's no longer Jakar. He's Jakar because he's French. And JMS is like, okay, <laughs> I guess he's Jakar now. I knew it. See, this is why I take Lando's side. The French are assholes. I was just oh. don't get him started, people. Jesus. Oh, Alfredo Gabagooli. <laughs> exactly. I hate you. Before we get completely off the rails, does anyone have any last thoughts before we get into questions and predictions from our newbies? Is there anything more relatable than this whole episode being the fault of hiring the lowest bidder on a contract? Yes. Bureaucracy. I I wrote those two things that I go, you can always count on Earth to give the job to the lowest bidder. And you can always uh, rely on Earth's answer to union bust. Glad something's ever changed. Amazing. Years in the future and government contracting is still a thing. What have you got for us, Clippy? I wanted to circle back to to what Scott said, not to just disagree, but well, I'm going to disagree because Bring it. Um, Bring it. I think the only time that John Snyder's portrayal really got into the uh, e- eating the scenery territory was when he was really trying to um, intimidate Sinclair in particular and the, the station personnel, because he never really got that with the dock workers. He was just like, well, you know, if that's your response, I'm going to, you know, just bring in the mm-hmm. bring in the military to do what we want but he i think he got the impression earlier on that sinclair was pretty uh, un, uh uninterested in in going the way he wanted to so he he was using that to really intimidate sinclair into doing what he wanted and so that that's why i thought the portrayal was really good but you're free to disagree i'm sure you will <laughs> As you're free to be wrong, sir. So it's fine. Well, I mean, are you just going to forget about the scene where you sat across from the union negotiator? Because it was pretty hammy. Yeah. Mm. Jump. It's pretty hammy. Uh, one of the other things I love seeing in this labor relations piece is Garibaldi's piece in this and the fact that he is with quote unquote management, but even as it's pointed out in another, uh, in another world, Garibaldi would have been a laborer like everyone else. So I like seeing him torn on this. And I liked seeing that even though he's, you know, following orders, he's doing so in the best possible way. And you get that a lot in any kind of situation like this, where somebody's put in a bad situation, they're true personality is going to come through, even if they're having to follow orders like that. And I appreciate what Jerry Doyle did there. And Nicole? Can we start a new count for when Garibaldi shoots the shot? Because I feel like he was hitting on that labor lady, that uh, negotiator chick. Uh, I shouldn't say chick, that's offensive. The negotiator woman. Um, I feel like he was kind of like, hey, how you doing? And I feel like Garibaldi just shoots a shot all over the place. He just lets it go. He's just looking to hit on the ladies and... (laughs) 
you know? Nicole, really? I know what you're trying to say here. <laughs> he, he is definitely going to show her his favorite thing in the universe. Yes. yes. <laughs> where he definitely gets her, though, is at the end where Sinclair um, gives her, um, you know, amnesty. And he just leans in. That's for you, kid. Yeah. He really he really is like just, hey, ladies. Like, there's a BC uh, Boy song that's called Hey, Ladies. And every time I see Garibaldi talking to a woman, I have that playing in my head because he Although- is always on the prowl. I will say that when you watch the Sinclair scene where he's using by any means necessary, which is amazing, Con- Connolly is definitely wanting Sinclair at that moment. She is definitely looking at him like, I want to take that man to dinner and then take him. <laughs> and dinner anyway. is optional. As I say, dinner is not where she wants to go. Yeah, yeah dinner is optional. Look, look how Boyer plays that. She's just like, mm-hmm, he's doing everything right. What and she'd like to hear Nicole perform the Beastie Boys song, Hey Ladies, oh. tribute to our Patreon. <laughs> yes, it that is, will be in the You Got Kosh segment. <laughs> it is one of my karaoke go-tos. It's a banger. Do we have to add karaoke to the Patreon levels? We can no, do that. No, I'm definitely in. Hell yeah. I'm thinking we're going to have to do that. Let's, what, which let's which level does that go into, guys? Do we get probed to be karaoke? I think there's going to be probing involved for karaoke. I'm going to add it right now. Nicole, you didn't mention one person being shady this entire episode, which I, I know. Zento was shady. Yeah, they're all on the level. Zento was definitely shady. Yeah, he was a shady bastard. He's not shady. He's just a no, douche. We've done established he was a swarmy wanker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I figured Emily had that covered, so. Yeah, he wasn't upfront about his bullshit. Uh, but Senator Hidoshi, when he first came on, he was being fucking shady. He yeah, was he was a wanker too. True. I wrote that down. I wrote he totally flipped. His first conversation with Sinclair was like, "This dude's coming. You better give him everything he wants." And blah 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 blah. And then he called back. He was like, "Man, I tried, dude. You're my hero. We I thought we were in this together." And I was like, "Where's this shit coming from?" Yeah, I don't trust him. No, he he rolled over like a little bitch. Well, my favorite thing too. So we're talking about happy endings or cookie cutter. I go. So he said something about like, "Oh well, the American people." I go. Since when has Congress ever listened to what the American people gave two fucks about and went with that? He was like, "Oh well, they didn't want it, but sentiment wasn't on their side. That hasn't stopped anyone ever." Or when have they gave a shit about what the American people want? Yeah. So let's jump into our questions and predictions going forward from our newbies. Let's go ahead and start with Jesse. I don't have any. I never do. I'm very sorry of you. Thanks. Mm. <laughs> Can we kick him off? Can we vote him off of the island? Nope. Can't. Our fans hate him. Let's get rid of him. <laughs> I will create a poll. It's too late. It is Twitter. too late for the pebbles to vote. He'll get cosh. That's true. Um, it's no, too late I for think... the pebbles to vote. Nicole, questions and predictions. I guess my real question would be, so who's going to be the new enemy that Sinclair has? Uh, who's going to come and fuck up his day, basically? Like, who does Zento know and what kind of conflict and issues is this going to cause for Babylon 5? Um, and then I guess prediction. Um, I think that I really actually I don't have a prediction. You could just scratch that. Sorry. Um, but my biggest question is what is going to happen now with the enemies that Sinclair has made and how many more problems are going to come up from this episode? John, what have you got? Um, so as I mentioned previously, I do have a couple of questions. I'm going to throw out there since you're about to go to everyone's favorite segment that maybe got asked from the previous episodes, maybe didn't. Um, so from Believers, my question, why is steak so hard to get? I mean, they, they seem to be able to import all kinds of stuff, but steak was crazily important. I don't, again, I don't know if you guys remember this stuff, but um, is there a meaning or distinction between the jump colors? So every time we'll see those jump points, we'll see it'll be blue, it'll be orange, it'll be yellow. There's different colors. And I wonder if there's any actual um, meaning behind that. I assume there is, but I don't know. Um, At the end with the parents, 
Uh, is that not murder? How are they not immediately arrested for killing their kid? We just let that go. Secu- Ghirardelli, again, security, pretty lax on the ship. Um, <laughs> I hate you. The Survivors episode, because, uh, and I only bring this up since we talked about in a previous episode, uh, you guys had alluded to the different military uniforms. So I noticed the presidential detail, they would look like they were wearing dress uniforms because she had her medals on and displayed, which she also had significantly more medals than Sinclair had. Shout out. Um, so is that, I mean, is that a thing? They are, Do they get into the different types of uniforms at some point and kind of address the different attire? Um, well, and I think we can address that one for you now, John. We've, we've talked about that briefly before. Um, the way Earth Force is set up in the show is there's kind of different divisions. So you've got uh, more your, what would almost be your Air Force type division with the officers on Babylon 5. You've got more your Army division type that have um, the different colored uniforms. So it's different service branches within Earth Force. Can I do the jump gate too and kill two birds with one stone? Go right ahead. So JMS actually said back when they were making the show that they kept redshift in mind, which is, you know, based on speed and distance, you're going to see different colors. So it is based on redshift of the viewer. And then actually when we, um, you haven't seen it much, but when we start seeing uh, hyperspace within the jump gate, um, you will see that it actually looks different on the other side too. Look at that. See, some of my questions not going beyond the rim, getting answered. You know, you're, it's a slam dunk. You're not hitting the rim at all, man. You're just going right through the right through it. We don't right. always tell you beyond the rim. <laughs> let's uh, let's keep going. Okay. Uh, why doesn't the commander carry a weapon? Again, I've pointed this out numerous times. The ship's supposed to be no weapons, yet everyone seems to freely get one on. And Sinclair is the only one who seems to not be packing heat. I can answer that one too, Blake. Go right ahead. Let, let's just answer what we can. Sinclair is, yes, he is command staff, but he is also um, ambassador. And so he has a dual role. Even though he is commanding the station, Ivanova is in charge of CNC and he is more of a Londo, Jacquard, Delenn type in that matter. All right. Let's see if you can answer that. I, let's keep going with my questions. Yay. Uh, uh, okay. So uh, what's with the differing accents among the Centauri? Like Londo has a very specific accent that none of the other or very few of the other Centauri seem to have. I'm not hating it, but I wonder why that is. I keep thinking uh, for those who watch Doctor Who, when Eccleston became the doctor and he had a, a Northern accent, he's like, there's a North in space. <laughs> <laughs> the man who just went to Europe is asking why there's different accents among species. Well, is that, so what my thing is, is that something, because again, it seems like he's the only one who has that accent. Are there other people going to come on with that same accent? Like, I mean, obviously the way we talk is different than somebody from say Boston, Philly, the South, California, blah, blah, blah. So if that's the case, great. But that's my question. Is, is that the case or is he just an outlier? Again, either way, I'm a fan of it. I, I think, think I can... that's not the case though. Let's, Scott, let's that. answer that. Yeah. I, I think uh, Kevin, go for it. If you, if you want to go for it, well, go for it. That, that's a, an aristocratic type yeah. accent. The, the higher born mm-hmm. uh, people in the Centauri, uh, have that particular accent and there's a story behind that um you know he started using that accent right away and they liked it but not all the actors that were centauri used that accent either because they couldn't really approximate it or because they didn't think it was necessary um you know and so that that definitely is a peter jersic uh, creation but some of the other highborn used that um signs and portents the uh the other gentleman uh centauri gentleman and that he he used a form of that accent and you're you're going to see other characters that are highborn centauri use that as well and i think uh you know as blake mentioned this is production number 14 so we're getting a little deeper into the season but as we get deeper and then obviously when we get to season 
Legends 2 and so forth and so on, these characters are more fleshed out. So that means they're going to start telling the guest actors to come in and say, hey, you got to follow suit on this stuff too. So you're going to see it a lot more. I think part of it is you're just seeing folks coming in off the street and the show at this point has hit the air, but not by much. And earlier episodes hadn't even hit the air when they were producing these episodes. So people hadn't figured out what was going on yet. Now the last question or two last questions, I think. So what is the control on the ship? Because from size important, it seems like anybody and everybody could just access the CNC. They don't have, you know, control <laughs> of that anywhere. And then I think uh, maybe Nicole mentioned it, but you know, what do the Minbari really want with Sinclair? Um, after Signs and Ports end, obviously that was that's still a huge question that I'm still hoping to be um, answered. And I don't really have a prediction at the moment, except that Londo's awesome is going to keep getting awesome, and Jakar can suck it. The end. Mic drop. <laughs> Can we, can we all please stop calling it a ship? It's a station. It's a space station. It doesn't go anywhere. Honest, I wondered how long it was going to take Kevin's head to explode over that. Got tracked that we're what, 14 episodes in? Yeah. I let it go for a while. I just yeah. want that on the record. Well, part of it too is you're not used to this. I mean, of course, yeah. if, if you've watched Deep Space Nine, you're used to a station, but most folks think sci-fi, they think spaceship. Hey, listen, yeah. every time Justin has called it a ship, I have watched Kevin twitch. Yeah. It is a many reasons why justin makes that is a lie (laughs) no it's not it's a military ship mike said it they said it this episode it's a military base it's moving it's a ship it's a military ship i hate you all (laughs) (laughs) don't bring me into this (laughs) if it floats it moves so i'm just saying (laughs) floating it's actually technically falling orbital dynamics and all yeah i feel like falling matter right now (laughs) does it orbit yeah it's orbiting epsilon three i thought it was just stationary no it's in orbit of epsilon three we've been told that we didn't get told Epsilon 3? Yes, we have. Yes, we have. It's now, the moon or planet or whatever you want to call it behind the sh- station. I almost said ship. <laughs> <laughs> okay, quit talking over Andrew. He's got his hand up now. Andrew, <laughs> questions and predictions. And if you say none. Uh, just one prediction. Uh, I forgot the character's name, but John Snyder. He's going to come back. Zento. Zent, yeah, or in Zento. Uh, he's going to come back. And also, I think the, the Senate as a group is going to be like more of like a collective villain. And that's all I got. I need you to ask, when's this show going to start bussing for real on God? We're trying to get that young demo, dude. You're our key into that. Start throwing in more slang. Hey, I got you, fam. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> for those playing the home game, I can tell you how much fam we got right now. And uh, the number, uh, the percentage of people who are age zero to 17 is still 0%. And the percentage of people 18 to 22 is 2%. It's our, it's our number one demographic. And I'm feeling you guys 35 to 44. You're our number one demographic. Thank you. Yes, you old fogies. Let's, let's get back to Emily for Emily's questions and predictions. Okay. Um, question. Will we ever see the president? At this point, I'm not even convinced he exists. He could just, they just could be like weekend at Bernie's thing him. Like, as far as I know, it's a whole weekend at Bernie situation. Um, well, John so did how- say Bernie was about to make a cameo, so... <laughs> How many groups are angry at Sinclair now? Because I feel like it's probably more than one at this point. The Senate, maybe the space fascists, maybe a new group we haven't heard of. I don't know. And is Zento actually working for the Senate or for the space fascists? Or are they one and the same? 
So I think that wraps up our discussion of by any means necessary. I think now we're going to get ready to send all of our newbies out into hyperspace. And those of us who are longtime fans are going to go beyond the rim and sit there and discuss the context spoilers and answer all these questions we wouldn't answer for them. Again, my name is Blake and with me tonight has been Andrew. Jesse. Evan. Emily. Scott. Nicole. And John. Like you are nicer, by the way. You're staying in the hyperspace, whereas an I sent him out the airlock. I love it. Blake has his own catchphrase. You sent him out the airlock and they fired you and put me in here. So I know. So I just sent him to hyperspace. You did a good job today. That was really good. Yeah, that was great. Very good, Blake. Nice job. Kept it 100. Newbies. Yeah, kept it 100. Be gone, newbies. Be gone. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to this podcast and links to our social media accounts at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so please join the discussion on Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Gray 17 is a part of the Front Row Network and NPR Illinois Community Voices. You can find all the Front Row shows at thefrontrownetwork.com. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All audio clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing Babylon 5 themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. All right, welcome back to Beyond the Rim, where we're going to sit here and go through the rest of By Any Means Necessary and discuss this episode and answer all of our newbies' questions. Uh, for those that have stuck around again, I am Blake, and here tonight is... Scott, Mike, and Kevin. Hi. So where do we want to start with this? I mean, I'm just going to start off and say, I think for me, this is the first of a two-part, the first really two-part episode of B5. Um, not necessarily continued story, but with the ending of this one, to get to the question around, is Zento coming back? Mm-hmm. We don't see Zento come back, but we have have the episode eyes coming up and to me this episode directly helps set up what's going to happen in eyes so for me this is the first real two-parter even though it's not packaged as such within the uh first season and i know yeah, kevin I, has said a couple times that eyes is one of his favorite episodes I, I think eyes is my favorite episode of the first season um i i'm gonna wait until the end of the the season to to say that with uh with gusto but i think for sure eyes is a fantastic episode so i hadn't really made the connection mostly because uh well today was interesting but uh yeah i i definitely think that uh this leads in well you make a great point blake all right so who wants to jump in with any of our newbies questions before we do that can i just talk about jaquan because that's obviously a question because the newbies have no idea who jaquan is but oh my god so much is started with this episode uh because we've we not only jaquan himself which we we will find out later on. And actually, ironically, I'm doing um, a discussion with our Yum Yum friends at the Yum Yum podcast uh, later tonight. I'm going to record it. I don't know when it's going to drop, but we're doing Ship of Tears, which is when Garibaldi, who is reading the book of Jaquan, realizes that the shadows wiped out all the Narn telepaths in the last war. So it's kind of a nice little connection there, but this is the first time we do hear about Jaquan. And we've also, again, as Mike pointed out, a couple others pointed out too, we get to see Jakar's spirituality, which as we all know, Jakar is going to become a religious icon and religious leader and write his own book of Jakar. So I just love the fact that again, with season one, even in episodes that seem like bottle episodes, we get these little tidbits that are going to come back. And um, Jaquan makes me smile because that's such a huge part of Jakar, but it's also a huge part of the shadow war. One thing while we're talking, 
talking about uh, the Narns and Jakar and that, you know, John had asked, mentioned a couple times, he wanted the buddy cop story or the companion story. I think we're actually going to get some of that as we yes. get into season two and three. There's the bit where Londo goes back to Centauri Prime and Jakar goes with him as a bodyguard. But the other episode when they were saying they wanted some of that playoff between them, uh, and you see it a little bit, uh, and it's a more of a dark episode, but it's in the rock cried out, no hiding place. Yeah, one of my favorite episodes. It, fantastic episode, but where Londo uses Jakar and the Narns to get rid of Lord Rifa on Narn, you know, so I get to John, he's going to get to see that interaction, especially when we hit into season two and beyond. Um, and he'll really get to see how that plays out with those two characters. And because their story, as we all know, it's so woven together. I mean, their story ends together and they make that point repeatedly throughout the series. You know, Blake, since you mentioned in the rock cried out, no hiding place, um, we're recording this three weeks before it drops. So at this point it's going to be old news, but, uh, Marva Hicks, who was the singer of the choir during The Rock Cried Out, uh, just passed away a few days ago. The, that that scene where the choir is singing on Babylon 5 with Night Watch there, which makes it even more of a hard episode. And then you're seeing the Narn just lay waste to their captors. It is an amazing episode. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we just lost Marva Hicks, who was a singer for that. One of the questions that Emily brought up is, you know, how many groups has Sinclair ticked off? And we found out in eyes that he's def Sinclair's definitely ticked off you know significant portions of the military to the fact that you know Colonel Zane shows up with uh Harriman Gray and just decides to try to lay waste to his career you know I'm I'm starting to wonder here too we've talked about dra- trap doors we're now in episode 14 it is clear at this point that O'Hare's mental um issues are uh, mental health is showing up um I'm wondering if this is starting to lay of a trap door I mean obviously the conversation is Sinclair is pissing people off because he's having to be the commander of that station. But as we know, the the reason why Sinclair leaves at the end of season one is he is moved to be the ambassador to Mimbar. And I'm wondering if they're kind of laying the groundwork here of Earth Alliance is just finally saying, we just don't want this guy in charge anymore. We, we, we need one of our guys, which is going to be Sheridan, of course. And well, they, I think that was more about the, the president after, after this president, Santiago's killed. I think that's more about Clark doing that, though, don't you think? Well, and they have a comment though in one of those early episodes with general uh Hague, yes um when sheridan gets the assignment uh general Hegg shows up any general Hegg file says it's because on paper you look like the hard-ass military commander mm-hmm. that clark once in charge of babylon 5 and you and i both know you're not that yeah so i, I, I think they answer that and and i agree with you scott i think this is the setup because from reading becoming superman jms knew well into this point there were issues with michael o'hare and there had even been discussions where jms had offered to shut down production if need be um, for O'Hare to get treatment. And O'Hare said, no, he said, do not make me the reason this fails. And I think that's so important with what we're talking about. Michael, now that he's passed is he went through all this, but at the end of the day, he cared about the cast and crew more than himself. Cause if it would have been shut down and assuming it would have continued, which there's no guarantee this, the studio may have just said you're done, but if it would have been shut down, he may have been able to get treatment and come back and be the star of the show for another four years. But he said, no, um, you need to keep this rolling for everybody else. And that's, that says a lot. Now to reiterate, this was, this show you said was one of the later production order. Number 14 out of 22. Okay. So they were well into it and probably well aware of the problems with, with O'Hare. Yeah. Well, um, the, uh, what, 
what episode is it where we start seeing who will be Garibaldi's? Um, oh, he shows up when Bester shows up the first time, which was, epi- yeah, so production order 10 was Mind War. And that's the first time we see the person who will shoot Garibaldi in the back. And that actor um, was actually on set to assist Michael O'Hare with dialect as a dialect coach, but also to make sure he was doing okay. And so that actor shows up on screen on production number 10, and we're now production number 14. So they absolutely know. Yeah, and he was in this episode too uh, as one of the security guards or security team that went in to bust up the uh, strike. This is one of those where I'm so, and this is nothing to do with uh, by any means necessary, but I'm so looking forward to the newbies reaction when they find out one, that Garibaldi is going to get shot. But then when we find out who shot him, I'm looking forward to seeing how that gets handled and how the newbies um, react to it. Because for me, I, I remember, that's one of the few things I remember from season two, like back in 95, that shocked me. And I'm looking forward to seeing how the newbies handle it. So other thoughts on our newbies questions? Emily also asked, was Zento part of Home Guard? I, I don't think we have any evidence of that whatsoever. Does the president actually exist or is he dead and do we ever see him? Uh, he exists at least for a little while longer and no, we don't see him. Andrew mm-hmm. asked the prediction the Senate is the villain. Um, yes, always. Uh, <laughs> They're politicians. Hello. Zento will not be back. We know that. Uh, I don't really understand John's question. The control. So John, what is actually, control was, of the station? <laughs> yeah, I was going to touch on that one with John, and he has a point on that. I mean, if you look at any type of government installation, I mean, as someone who's worked in government buildings, Scott, you've worked in government buildings as well. Far too much. I mean, I work with a state agency, and I can't even get into the building without a hard pass key card. So I see where John's at with this. I mean, you've got this command and control, the main operation center for the station, that seemingly anybody can walk into. Um, I mean, you had ambassadors walk in, you had a reporter walk in, um, and we've seen that other times uh, in this series so far as well, that just kind of anyone can seem to just pop in there and see what's going on. Um, so I, I get John's question about what are some of the security controls or protocols for who has access to what on this station. And even if you look at, um, it's not so much visible in this one, but as you see more, especially in later seasons, the commander's office mm-hmm. or the captain's office, that's also seemingly just an open door to a hallway. There's no actual tour um, to the station commander's office either. Well, so I, I think, think that's some of his question is, you know, as a especially for someone with a military background is how does that work? Well, it's interesting in this episode, too, because we pointed this out. I could almost see the reporter having access because they have some kind of a press badge that grants them access, and they're mm-hmm. placed on B5 deliberately to be a, uh, an agent of the press. But, um, you know, the head of the union doesn't necessarily have any business wandering through CNC. And honestly, the fact that they referenced B5 as being a military base... Yeah. would tell me that the ambassadors also really don't have any business being in CNC, in, in my opinion. Unless invited. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I commented on this in one of the previous episodes, too, where it, it seemed like anybody could just ride the L train and get off at the uh, at the Viper hangar, too, which is another area of the station that I would think would be super sensitive and super secure. And mm-hmm. that just doesn't seem to be the case. I mean, yeah, I love frankly, you... people come and go out of the ambassador wing all the time, too, apparently. So I love how you just mixed your sci fi there. So the the viper hanger did i say viper hanger star furies it's it's cool hold on to my defense they call them kevin talked about this they they call them viper base don't they cobra base cobra base okay now i'm different snakes 
right. I knew what I was trying to say. No, that was good though. You you, you mixed your metaphors. It was great. Yeah, mixed your sci-fi. But yeah, I, I I and then you know we'll see later on when the uh, alliance starts being the alliance is they will move their command station or center down to the bowels of the station where people can't get to it, and it takes Jakar up until ship of tears. <laughs> which again, I'm talking about tonight in a few minutes mm-hmm. uh, to get to see it. So anything else that our newbies brought up that any of you want to address or talk about? I don't have anything that the newbies brought up, but I want to throw out a shout out to our community one more time too. I Again, we're recording this a few weeks in advance. So this is this happened three weeks ago now, but I want to thank Janice Schnell. Um, I threw out on Twitter and Facebook that I'm looking for a document that uh, was released by JMS. Very, It was only given to people who bought a certain amount of volumes of scripts since there's not many out there and I need it for a discussion that we're all going to have once we get past Chrysalis and within 20 minutes on Facebook and on Twitter Janice got a hold of me and said I got it what do you need so this community is amazing I just love I love you guys for all your help on this uh, for those who are wondering the document I was looking for is the original memo that went to Warner Brothers discussing the outline of the original show which also includes a discussion of Babylon Prime and we'll talk about that after Chrysalis so thanks Janice for being an amazing amazing community member and for everybody else who's just been so helpful. You're awesome. Um, there was a question for John about uh, why is steak so hard to get, which they've also talked about coffee being hard to get. I would guess that has a lot to do with global warming, but that's just my assumption is my, my assumption is even that my assumption is perishability. You can't can a plant, a coffee bean plant. You can't can uh actual prime steak. You can freeze it, but at that point, it's not exactly good. So I think the whole point is they're talking about how do you get out that far past several jump gates, uh, a freshly butchered steak. And it takes a lot because you're going to have to have a direct route from earth. It's going to have to not stop anywhere else. And that's going to cost money. That's how you I brought up, you brought up a good point there. But I go think ahead, kind of, this is one of the inconsistencies in the series too, because they have it in this one where the stuff's hard to get, but then, you know, you've got the episode after the station breaks away from Earth and it's Garibaldi's birthday and he manages to get the ingredients brought in to make Bonnie Cauda. Yeah, but that one took a, lot, a while to get. And that was the it, whole it, point of the episode. It took doing, but it was still resolved within an episode type. It wasn't, you know, like a major. Yeah. It was the biggest obstruction there wasn't getting the stuff was getting it from the post office. It wasn't speaking of your comments on bureaucracy, that scene with the post office guy is amazing. (laughs) So there it's more getting it from the post office bureaucracy than it is actually getting the items to the station. The items got to the station, even with them being broke away from earth, the items got there. We're just getting them out of the post office. I think to me, that's just one of the inconsistencies, but not a major one that takes away from anything. Yeah. I mean, I think there is an inconsistency generally speaking with the, the speed at which things move move in the Babylon 5 universe. Um, John brought up the question about jump gate colors, which Scott, you referenced as being maybe a direct correlation to how far the jump gate is is uh, uh, travel is. Um, I do have a big question about just how fast hyperspace travel is because I feel like at times, you know, wh- what did they say in this episode about how fast Zento made it from Earth to B five? Well, he, they didn't say Earth. They said that's they true. They didn't Zento. specify where he was. So he could have come from somewhere, and that's because I was thinking the same thing when I watched the episode. I was like, well, that's a plot hole because it only takes him twelve hours, but they never said he came from Earth. But okay, it does. It just it does raise the question of how fast do things move in the B five universe. 
because yeah. I would have to question whether coffee could go bad, <laughs> you know, in that length of travel. Um, well, and I think the, the, the argument, and I use the coffee one, but the, the argument with the coffee was not getting it to B5. It was the space it was taking up for hydroponics. Mm. So they needed that space for oxygen producing plants, not coffee. <laughs> That's fair. But still, I think there are other yeah, I, I hear you that though. arise from that. And, well, and I think also communication, because you notice, you know, communication from Earth to B5 is instantaneous. There's no delay, but we've seen in other sci-fi franchises where obviously communication across the vast distances of space takes a long time and they don't really mm-hmm. talk about how or why that's possible. And it's not necessary, but it does just kind of raise questions about what the technology is in this universe. It's, it's, I think any show I've ever watched has had trouble with, you know, really pinning down how long it travel takes. You know, Star Trek has done that. Star Wars has done that. Things change over time with these longer series. So, so Mike, I think the issue with hyperspace travel in a lot of these sci-fi shows is it really does travel at the speed of plot. I mean, it's what they need it to be. By the way, you did say that Star Wars is sci-fi. I'm going to be the guy and say Star Wars is fantasy. Not Fuck sci-fi. off. Star Wars is fantasy. Fuck off. There's nothing science about Star Wars. Not true. Okay. Let's talk about oh. kyber crystals. <laughs> So, all right, I think we've gone through the list of predictions and questions from our newbies, unless we've got anything else we want to throw in as a final comment. No, I feel I've pissed off Kevin enough for one day, so I think we're good. (laughs) I'd say that is a job well done for tonight, Scott. Thank you, sir. Uh, This has been Gray17 of Babylon 5 Podcast. Please leave a review for us. Kevin is begging you to please leave reviews for us. Uh, Also, follow us on our social media and check out our Patreon page if you want to support the podcast and help us keep this going with this fine, high-quality production that we have. Again, I am Blake, and here tonight has been... All the links are in the show notes below, and I'm Scott. What he said, and I'm Mike. And Kevin. All right. Good night. Bye. You should never hand someone a gun unless you're sure where they'll point at your mistake. <laughs>